Good morning, everybody. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of first, uh, let's make that second Kings chapter two, second Kings chapter two. We've been in a series for a few weeks called soul care. And, uh, some of us are learning to just let God refresh us. Uh, some of us who have been feeling a little wrung out to dry, a little burden, and we're discovering that God doesn't just want to save us spiritually, which he does, but he also wants to save us spiritually, mentally, emotionally. He wants to give us peace down to our bones. How many could use a little of that today? All right, some of us. Second Kings chapter 2. This is a cool story. The people of Jericho said to Elisha, Look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Bring me a new bowl, Elisha said, and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him. And then he went out to the spring and he threw the salt in it, saying, This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word Elisha had spoken. Okay, and that's the story. You ever read uh, something, especially in the Bible, and you go, hmm, what now? Uh, as we've learned over the years, there's always a story behind the story, right? There's a, a, a history behind the history. Jericho had some very complicated and strange history. First off, uh, Jericho had just, uh, the video was just talking about, it had been conquered centuries earlier to this story with Elisha, centuries earlier, been conquered by a man named Joshua. Uh, many of you remember that uh, very famous story. Uh, and uh, he conquered it, I believe, with trumpets. So it wasn't so much like shock and awe as like shock and oboe, um, I think is what they said. And the walls came tumbling down. You know the story. Less well known, though, is what Joshua did next. At this time, so he's destroyed the city. I mean, the, it's, it's gone. Joshua pronounced a solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is anyone who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So way back in the history of Jericho, the city had been conquered. And uh, the conqueror essentially said, anybody who tries to rebuild this city is cursed. Now, let's talk about this a little bit. I'll turn with me over to the book of Deuteronomy. It's a little bit closer to the beginning of your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 28. I know for some of us, uh, you know, if you're not like raised in church, this whole idea of like the concept of curses can sound kind of strange. It can sound kind of antiquated to our very modern ears. Uh, but the reality of a curse was something that these people were very familiar with. Uh, and so if you notice in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, there, is, there begins there this series of blessings and curses, which were their, uh, their way of talking about basically how these people related to their God. And essentially, the, the way they understood things was, it was pretty simple. If you follow God, if you obey God, things are going to go really well for you. It's going to be great. If you turn away from God, 
things are going to fall apart. And so in chapter 28, verse 1, it starts off this way. If you fully obey the Lord your God and command and carefully follow all the commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. So you do this, and things will go well. And for the next several verses, it talks about this. Your crops will grow. Your heavens will be poured out. You'll just, you'll be, you'll win all your battles. But then you get to about verse 15. It says, however... If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all of these curses will come on you and overtake you. You'll be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land. In verse 20, it says, the Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke. And then it just gets really horrible. If you get down to like verse 25, it says, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. Verse 28 says, the Lord will afflict you with madness blindness, confusion of mind. Verse 29, he'll give you like reality television, make you watch like Housewives of Miami and you'll have slow internet. It just, it's just, it's going to go bad, really bad. And the curses just build. I mean, we'd just be, we'd be here for a long time if we just keep reading. They build in this crescendo of like horror and chaos. And what's interesting is the blessings are like 14 verses and the curses go on and on for a couple of chapters. But the curse of Jericho was unique. It was very specific. If somebody tries to do this, they're firstborn. And, and that was very important because that was the person who would like carry on the family name. That was like the future of your identity. They would be wiped out. Um, now fast forward a little bit in Jericho's history. So Joshua destroys Jericho, puts this curse on him. In 1 Kings chapter 16, this would be a couple hundred years later, it says in Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. So a couple centuries later, there's this king that comes along. And this king, by the way, is referred to over and over. He's called evil, Ahab. And one of the things this king does is he decides... Oh, yeah, there's that curse on Jericho. Well, I'm going to rebuild it just to show how gangster I am, right? I'm not going to let that stop me. And he has this guy, Hiel, rebuild Jericho. But Hiel laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Ibarim. And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. All right. So now we fast forward another few decades, to Elisha's day. And, and sort of hanging in the air for the people of Jericho is this. This is their history. This is all the history and baggage that people that tried to resettle that little land and stuff that they would have carried, a, you know, the stuff about Jacob, I mean, uh, Joshua and his curse and Ahab's man, Hiel, he tried to rebuild the city and the firstborn sons dying, the laterborn sons dying, blessings, curses, favor, displeasure with God. All of this would be like swirling in the atmosphere of this town of Jericho. This is just what, this is just what's going on. And, and in fact, uh, Scholars tell us that where it talks about in the curse about the land being unproductive, or when they tell Elisha the land is unproductive, that the Hebrew root there, what it's referring to is, is a miscarriage. So there's like literally people are 
feeling cursed. There, there people just, they can't even have, have kids. And this is just a horrible, horrible, sounds like a bad place to live, right? I could just imagine like driving down the highway, you ever go to those little towns and there's like a welcome sign as you pass by, like a little family with ice cream cones. And there it says, welcome to Jericho, forever cursed, right? That's just the whole atmosphere as you're driving through town. How many of you have ever like gone to a new job? You've shown up at a new place, you're kind of meeting everybody in the office and you get a weird vibe and you're like, why, why is everybody like avoiding that person? What's going on there? There's just something like strange in the air or something like that. Or you go to like a family reunion that you haven't been to in a long time, five, 10 years, you know, you, you get there and you're like, why are those people seem so upset with those people? And then people are like, well, let me give you some background information here, right? Because their great aunt Susie and his great uncle so-and-so, like four decades ago, this thing happened. And now that tribe won't even talk to that tribe. And this is what's going on. And you're like, let me give you the scoop. That is what's, you know, the background. And so Jericho has like this kind of just history. This is its DNA. It's just destruction, curse, an attempted rebuild, people still dying from something weird in the water and in the soil, which was direct language. If we went back, you would see it's the direct language from the curses of Deuteronomy. And Elisha charges in, bring me a new bowl. Bring me a new bowl. Now the word new in Hebrew is this word hadash. Let me hear you say hadash. Hadash. Hadash, sometimes it means to renew. It has all sorts of meanings. You can see it referred to in the Old Testament uh, to a renewed spirit or renewed life, renewed youth. Sometimes it means to rebuild um, or to, to repair. You can, it's, referred, it's used to refer to uh, describing rebuilding a city, rebuilding a temple. Um, it can refer to new songs, new covenants, new mercies. And so when he says, bring me a new bowl, this isn't just like, I want a new bowl, you know, run down to Pottery Barn and get me something pretty. He's talking, this new bowl has all sorts of like subtlety and depth and nuance. There's something spiritual about this. So he says, somebody bring me a new bowl and put some salt in it. Now salt, you find over and over in the Hebrew scriptures, is part of the ritual sacrificial system. Salt is, is, is an important thing. It had symbolic value. Notice this reference in Leviticus. It says, Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God, the covenant of your God, out of your grain offerings. Add salt to all of your offerings. Salt of the covenant of your God. Now, what was the covenant? What was this covenant of God? The covenant was this. No matter how bad it gets, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how hard your heart has been, you can always return to God. Wherever you've been, however many gods that you have been worshiping, no matter how many regrets you've accumulated, you can always return to God and he will restore you. God says at any point, at any point, you can always turn and always come home. That's his covenant. You can always come home. I'll rebuild it. I'll, I'll renew it. Come on back. However far you find yourself from me, just turn and come on back. In the New Testament, we find that we are called the salt. Salt is like, a, it's, a, it's an instrument of blessing. And Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt. Ooh, come on, yeah. So Elisha steps into this situation. This is what he steps into and says, somebody get me a new bowl. Put some salt in it. And he takes the bowl with the salt and he goes to the spring 
that, that, that was like the source of all the problems. This, this is like diseased water. He throws the salt in. He says, this is what God says. We're not going to bother with this anymore. We're all done with the curse. Everything's taken care of. Let's get on with it. Now, how do we kind of unpack this for us? I want to give a couple of insights about this story today. First off, for Elisha, history does not decide. It merely describes. So hear me. History doesn't decide. It just describes. For Elisha, the history of the city does not decide the future of the city. The history merely describes what happened. It doesn't decide what will happen. Are you hearing me? See, your history, it describes what you've done. It describes where you've been, who you've been with. Your history describes your past, but your history does not decide your future. For how many people, how many people, like, is their own history this confusing, weird blend of, of describing and deciding, right? Well, this has gone on. This is the way it's been. So obviously that's where it's going to take me. Really? I challenge that. I say that's not for sure. Elisha, it's almost like Elisha comes in and goes, what curses, right? Like, give me some salt, <laughs> right? Let's go. Game on. It's a new day. Whoosh. One scholar even says that what Elisha does simply ushers in a whole new era for these people. Elisha drops salt in a bowl of water, and God says, God says, everything's taken care of. The water's clean. Let's get on with it. Curse is broken, right? Maybe we could say it this way. According to Elisha, curses are made to be broken, right? Well, I know the Bible says... Right? I can just imagine somebody standing there when Elisha's doing this, going, wait, wait, wait. The, the Bible says, and Elisha's like, come on, no more. What, is it, what does Elisha think of Joshua's curse? He's like, come on, it's a new day. It's a new day. Bring me some salt. God's everlasting covenant here says, eh, I don't know. New things can happen. New things can break the cycle, the patterns of the old. I can just imagine somebody being there being like, no, 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 Elisha, the Bible says, and Elisha's like, actually, God says, <laughs> right? <laughs> Amen? Maybe you could say it this way. According to Elisha, a new word can always be spoken. There's always space for a new word. I know you said the situation is like this. I know. You know, there's one famous rabbi that we all love and follow who said, you have heard it said, but I say, right? Jesus says, I think a new word can be spoken about this. Elisha says, you're describing things like this, and I think a new word can be spoken. You're telling me that the future is inevitable? I think a new word is in order. Now, it's interesting. Some of us, you know, uh, modern folks, we hear a story like this, and I understand. You know, we hear a story about pre-modern people, because this, this is a long time ago. It was like 3,000 years ago. You know, pre-modern people, and talk about curses and losing your firstborn, and it can sound a little like, you know, voodoo witchcraft language that's like 
you know, belongs in like fantasy novels, right? You know, movies with dragons and, and wizards and things like that. And some folks hear stuff like this, and they hear this story, and they think, see, this is why, the, this is why I don't go in for the Bible. The Bible's ridiculous. I don't go in for all this religion stuff, because, you know, we live in a new world. We live in a more enlightened world. We're not like these superstitious yahoos, right? Unless, think through some of the phrases that people use today. Man, I just can't get a break. See, this kind of thing always happens to me. Like, like I expected anything else, right? It's inevitable. Just my luck. Think about that phrase, just my luck. What? You have luck, right? Or you don't have luck or you have some kind of particular version of luck. Did you keep the receipt? Can you take it back? Right? Think about the ways that people are like, we're seduced into literally saying, but it's just inevitable. Really? How's it inevitable? Well, because of what happened, right? Well, how in our mind did we determine that that means what's going to happen? Well, this kind of thing always happens to me, right? It does? Really? Always? You have documented tangible evidence. You have proof of this. <laughs> This is the only thing that ever happens to you, right? Or have you taken bits and pieces of the story and sort of selectively crafted this narrative out of certain experiences and assumptions? I've done that. Perhaps it might be good to say it this way. What we think and believe matters. Oftentimes, when it comes to, to religion, we talk about, when you talk about what, what do we believe, like what does your church believe, or what do you believe, Our, we immediately kind of go to those big things, right, those big issues of doctrine, right, uh, and, and we get in, can get in these wonderful and fantastical arguments with each other about grand systematic, you know, theological frameworks. What's interesting is actually, when you think about it, you don't actually wake up and usually behave based on those beliefs. Those kind of beliefs are important. Uh, they're important and they kind of inform what tribe you belong to, you know. But your particular take on superlapsarianism or your particular take on atonement theory and things like that, they probably don't affect how you treat your spouse and your kids when, when you get up in the morning and make the coffee, right? Actually, the kind of beliefs that you hold that affect you, that affect your daily life and those sorts of choices that we make in millions and millions of little ways every day, the very deep-seated, are those, those deep-seated subconscious stories that you tell about yourself. It's the patterns, that's the cycles, the thought spirals that we all get into, that we've bought into about ourselves, And that is actually what tends to steer you throughout your day. So if you have like deeply planted in yourself, in your psyche, this kind of thing always happens to me. Well, that's going to deeply shape the way you in interpret events. That makes sense, right? If you deeply believe in your bones, just my luck right? Then when things come along, good or bad, they're going to color and shape the way you read every event that happens to you, everything that happens. And if you've decided somehow 
that for some reason you are unlovable, just fundamentally. And you know what? When you interact with other people and you at some on some deep level have decided that you are unworthy or unlovable or impure or unclean or whatever that sort of thing is, it is going to deeply shape at the sort of everyday level how you give or receive love. That's why Jesus comes along. And here's what we hear him say over and over. He begins so many of his statements with one word, repent. He begins with this word repent. Now, I understand repent is kind of like one of those triggering words. You know, if you've got like some religious background or something like that, because it can feel all religious and manipulative-y, and you might have had people use that word over you in, in unhealthy ways. I get that. But notice what the Greek word for repent is. In the Greek, in the language of the New Testament, it's metanoia. Metanoia. Meta means change, like metamorphosis is a change of, of form. And noia means to exercise the mind, to think, to comprehend, metanoia. The word has, it has a lot of nuance, for sure, and, and depth of meaning. But repent, literally in the language of the New Testament, simply means to think about things in a whole new way. Jesus comes and says, think about things in a whole new way, Right? Because we know the battle's right up here. Most, most, half the battle's right here, right? It's the battle of the mind. And so, as New Testament Christians, we're called to have a different posture toward curses altogether, right? I have people ask me sometimes, like, wow, I don't, you know, this thing that's happening in my life, am I cursed? Do I have a curse? Did some, like, bad person put a curse on me? Is my family cursed? Is this house cursed? Something like that. But here's the thing. Jesus came and changed the game. He changed the game. So we don't play, hear me now, we don't play this transactional chess game anymore with the gods to stay on their good side or to, you know, keep them from cursing us. Because number one, there's only one God and he died on the cross and he rose again, which means there is no more curse, right? There's no more curse. For those of us who put our faith in him, there's no more curse. You're not cursed. There's no more curse. Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ became a curse for us and broke the power of the enemy over our life. Christians are not under the curse of the law, right? Because Christ fulfilled the law for us. It tells us in Galatians and Romans. Uh, Christians are not under the curse of sin because Christ has forgiven us and cleansed us from all unrighteousness, says Colossians 2. The curse has been broken. Amen? Amen? Just say that with me, okay? On the count of three, the curse has been broken. One, two, three. The curse has been broken. The curse has been broken. The salt has been thrown into the stream. You don't have to beg God or earn his blessing. It's already yours. It's already yours. It's already mine. Now, I'll admit it. I got to remind myself of that at least once a week. Because I get back into that, it's so easy to fall back into that thinking, right? Oh, I've done something. I've done something. I'm, I'm under the curse again or something. Something's happening. I'm not a, uh, he's not loving me today. Oh, no. I have to remind myself, he loves me so much and he couldn't love me anymore. He's already proven his love for me and he's already broken the curse. Now, we got an enemy for sure, right? But it ain't God. Amen. So, 
What is stopping us? I think it might be helpful to think how the first Christians took this. In 2 Corinthians, it says this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So this is a really cool scripture because this shows me that there was this sort of awareness, even in the very early church. These are, these are our brothers and sisters. They had this awareness that there are these, these scripts and stories that you can believe about yourself that deeply shape the way you live, right? And so one of the very first things they talked about often was simply taking every thought captive. I love the kind of forceful imagery of that. Like sometimes I just got to like do it with my hand. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take that thing captive, right? Right? You just got to do it. Jesus wants to take all the superstitions, all the curses, all the just my luck, all the, the, this always happens to me. He wants to take all of that. He wants to take those stories, all that framework that you bought into. He wants to break in. You know, the Bible says that we have the mind of Christ. I think Jesus wants to break into our mind. He wants to take all that stuff and drag it out into the light. And he wants to create a whole new era for you. In which you don't have to live on the, according to those storylines anymore. That doesn't have to be your story. If, you, if you've been abused, if you've had people speak this kind of stuff over to you, you've been hurt and wounded, you were told maybe abusive kind of stories or messages, and that stuff like plays on repeat, right? And Jesus wants to enter into there, and he invites you to repent. Repent. Change your whole way of thinking. See things in a whole new way. Elisha charges into Jericho and simply says, bring me a new bowl with some salt in it. What Elisha is really saying, he's talking to these people who have just grown up for generations and generations with this concept of God. And he's really telling them, let me remind you of what God is really like. Right? Some of us today have bought into the notion of a violent God. A God who's just waiting to hurt you with vengeance. And some of you apparently have, have bought into this God who is the God of the curse and who puts spells on places and things like this. And some of you apparently history has decided for you how the future is supposed to go. And here's what God says. He says, it's a new day. It's a new day. Okay, enough of that. We're starting over right? The water's been clean. Game on. Drink. It's good, right? That's what God says to us. Is there anybody here today, and perhaps you've been living under this, according to this destructive script that tells you you're just cursed, that you are shameful, you aren't good enough, that you are unlovable, that this thing that you're involved in, you'll always be involved in, because there's no way you can break free from it. There's no way you can be free from that addiction. There's no way you can be free from that failure. There's no way you can be free from that heartache. Is there anybody today who is stuck in a pattern and you keep repeating the same things and you know it's not life, it's not Zoe life, it's not beautiful, it's not humming with gratitude, it's not brilliant. It isn't where the life is. And today we need to break the pattern. Because it's not a good story, right? 
It's not interesting. It's boring. It's destructive. And, and it's just sucking the life out of you, right? And so today is the day we need to ask God for a new story. Amen? Amen. Amen. History tells us what happened. It doesn't decide what is inevitable. And so what Elisha performs is this beautiful reminder that we can always start fresh with God. Are there cycles that need to be broken? Are there voices in your head? Are there beliefs that you are just stuck in that are toxic, they're dangerous, they're not of Jesus, and it's time to repent of those beliefs? So here's what we're going to do. You may have noticed we've put buckets up here. It didn't rain and we didn't have a leak. (laughs) Someone asked me, did it leak? We've got these buckets of water and we've got these cups of salt up here. Is there anybody here today who needs to come down and take some salt and just drop it in that water as a way of declaring today is my new day? Today's the new day. And so we're going to take a few minutes and perhaps you need to come down and and declare before God that your new day starts now, right? Maybe drag someone with you if you need like some moral support or something. If you see somebody maybe headed down there, maybe you want to walk with them. Maybe you know specifically what they're struggling with and you can go like, oh, that thing, we're going to need two pinches of salt for that one, right? (laughs) It's all good. We got a lot of salt. There's plenty, right? We can take as long as you want. Maybe you're swirling in these lies and these stories and what you need is the rest of us to remind you, no, you don't have to live with that. You don't need to carry that around. Sprinkle some salt in that water. Sprinkle some salt in that water. And here's why we're doing this. Just to be really clear, there's no magic in the buckets, all right? It's not holy water, right? I didn't bless it. It's just water. We're not performing a spell. Because let me tell you a secret, Uh, you've already been freed from the curse. This isn't actually freeing you. You've already been freed 2,000 years ago from the curse. But what we know about ourselves, what we know about human beings, is that we are fundamentally tactile beings, right? We're kinesthetic creatures. That, so, so very often touch and texture and these, these acts of faith, they shape us, right? They, they mean something. And one of the ways that God gets our attention is through physical things. That's why we take communion. That's why we do water baptism, right? And what you begin to realize over, over time as you follow Jesus is that there are these moments where when a symbol, a ritual When some kind of tactile experience, this little rite of passage like salt and water or bread and the cup could have a powerful way of marking a moment. It's really easy for a sermon to just kind of turn into pretty platitudes. And I'm really not interested in just giving you a neat little TED talk today that you go, hmm, for an hour. The reason why we've come together, the reason why we come together every Sunday fundamentally is for life change. I want your life change today. And for you, that life change may start with stepping out in an act of faith. In a moment, you can look back on no matter what happens and that nobody can ever take away from you. Like taking water that represents all of the disease and the lies and the pain that you've been through and dropping some salt, that salt of blessing into it. 
and to declare once and for all, my new day starts now. I want to pray for us and then I'll invite you to come up here. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your crucified and resurrected Jesus who takes away all of our sins and shortcomings, does away with them, removes them, forgives them, buries them. And then he rises again, Lord. He brings new life. Lord, we ask you now, help us to grow in wisdom and discerning. Help us to see all the ways in which we have bought into false narratives and scripts and stories and arguments and voices that are destructive. That, that all that stuff that's actually superstitious voodoo magic that's not of you. Words like luck and fate and inevitability. We ask you, Lord, to open our eyes to the gift of blessing that you've already offered us. The new day that starts now. Give us a new heart, a new mind, a new pattern of thinking, Lord God. Help us to walk in the full life, a vibrant life, an overflowing life, Lord. A healed life that jumps for joy, that celebrates, that dances before you. God, rescue us from mediocrity, from complacency and just settling for the awful lies, the lie of just getting by. We ask you, Lord, that you would speak to us fresh words as we throw some salt in the water. May we be astounded by what you can do. In the strong healing name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Today is not like yesterday, and tomorrow will not be like today. So let me bless you. My friends, may your mind be renewed today. May you see things in a whole new way. And may you deep down in your bones experience that salt of blessing that's been thrown into the water, that's done away with the curse, that's done away with all those words that aren't of God. May you experience healing and rebirth and renewal. And may that change everything so you can experience life to the fullest. Amen. Grace and peace be with you. Go in peace.